Shulmalechem. Welcome to the Yiddish Book Center Radio. I'm here today with Dan Okrent, editor, author, inventor of Rotisserie, a.k.a. Fantasy Baseball, first public editor of the New York Times, and co-creator of the just-opened-to-rave-reviews off-Broadway production of Old Jews Telling Jokes. Created by Peter Gathers and Dan Okrent, Old Jews Telling Jokes showcases five actors in a review that pays tribute to and reinvents classical jokes of the past and present. Welcome, Dan. I'm happy to be here. Delighted to have you. So, Dan, I saw the play in reviews, and I loved it. And I laughed. My Jewish friend laughed. And uh, the two friends who had just come from hearing homily at St. Patrick's Cathedral also laughed. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear it. We're very ecumenical in that (laughs) Why does it work for such a wide audience? Um, Well, jokes are jokes. Uh, If they're funny, um, I think that they can extend beyond uh, racial or religious ethnic boundaries. I mean, some of our humor is specifically Jewish, and you do see some puzzled looks on the faces of some people in the audience. But uh, by and large, I think that uh, it's very accessible. I I think that the one, the one, one difference I'd say is that I never hear from Gentiles who've seen it. What I hear from many, many, many friends who've seen it, oh, it reminded me of my father. Oh, it reminded me of my grandfather. Oh, this took me back to my childhood uh, because it's really rooted in so many of us. That's. I was going to say that. I, I have to say that it did remind me of Papa Joe and Uncle Saul. So why is this part of our cultural heritage? Is it? Well, I think, yes, I think it definitely is. Uh, and when you say our, I think you're talking the Jewish cultural heritage, mm-hmm. if I can make the case of the American cultural heritage as well. It's part of it to take the second one first. Um, it's part of the American cultural heritage because uh, back in the late 40s and 1950s, when television was getting started and they didn't know what to put on television, they looked around and they saw a lot of New York comedians, uh, Borscht Belt comics, Broadway comics, uh, Fires Club comics, and they filled the, airs with, the air with them. And suddenly people who lived in Atlanta and Arkansas and Wyoming who had maybe never seen a Jew before, they said Milton Berle was in their house and Jan Murray was in their house and Annie Youngman and Soupy Sales and Groucho Marx. And this sort of introduced this form of humor to the entire nation. Uh, you know, less than, well, it's about 60 years ago, I guess it began. As for Jews, uh, as for us, um, I think that it has to do with the nature of being outsider. Uh, the, the surest way of dealing with pain is to try to find a way to smile. And if you look, of course, at the history of the Jews, there's an awful lot of pain. How do we conjure with that? We make jokes about it, jokes at our own expense. And do you think that this is something we brought to this country, or do you think that an immigrant population that was trying to assimilate invented this humor? No, it goes, there's no question it goes back to Europe. Uh, if you look at the stories of the wise men of Helm, for instance, some of those have been transformed into jokes that people are telling in Las Vegas today. Uh, in fact, uh, to get serious for a moment, uh, the um, uh, in, in the uh, death camps, in the concentration camps during World War II, there was quite a lot of humor. And uh, scholars published a book called Laughter in the Flames, um, about the humor of the concentration camps, the people who are undergoing the worst possible experience. How do you deal with it? Let's make some jokes about it. Yeah, I, it's the thing I miss about my father is in the times of darkness, he would always do something to make you laugh. Um, and I think it is an innate part of our DNA or whatever. No, I think it goes, it goes back to the beginnings of, 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 of Judaism. Uh, you know, Yitzhak means joker. In Hebrew, uh, and so it's you know in the in the in the, in the, very, in the patriarchs themselves, it's there. 
And, and on this, the other serious side, um, I was struck by the monologues that the actors came out and did between, for lack of a better word, scenes. What what was the thought behind adding those? Well, let me explain uh, for the benefit of listeners what the monologues were. Are they we, each of our five actors uh, at one or another point in the show stops and tells a story, uh, a seemingly personal story, speaking directly to the audience with nobody else on stage and no music, no uh, uh, the, the lights get dark on the stage, and you know they're not grave stories, but they explain what's the role of humor in our lives. So. Uh, you know, for instance, one is about somebody who grew up in Tennessee, and he the first thing his first encounter with this form of humor was on television. He says that Soupy Sales was his babysitter. Uh, another one uh, is uh, actually based on my life story. I grew up in Detroit, and my father, who grew up in a Yiddish-speaking household, didn't speak English until he was six years old. Uh, he and my mother came to visit me shortly after I moved to New York in 1969. And we went to the Lower East Side, and we get out of the subway, and there's a big sign in Yiddish, and I asked him what it says, and he said, who cares, it's a dead language, which was devastating to me. And then my mother explained to me that at that point in his life, he was trying to assimilate. He uh, didn't want to be romantic about the past. He wanted to, to be as American as he could be, so he didn't see any fun looking back at it. Uh, but what he did find fun in was the jokes. And my father told me the jokes that his father had told him, whose father had told him. So there, that connection. So he, as I was saying, each of the five uh, uh, actors in the show has one such story to tell. They're not the actors' stories. They're stories that Peter Gathers and I wrote. Uh, one is based on his, his life, one on my life, the other three based on the interviews with a variety of people. Hmm. So the the cast is wonderful, and they each seem to you know feel like they own the jokes that they tell. Uh, was it hard to match up jokes and cast members? or? Um... I, w- I wouldn't say it was hard, but it did take some experimenting. And it, t- it also took some soothing of actors' egos, which are, as you can imagine, substantial. Um, probably not as substantial as writers' egos, but they're up there. Uh, we would uh, try in rehearsals various actors doing various jokes and and, uh, I think it's worth pointing out that a lot of our jokes are multi-character jokes instead of simply narrating the story about Max and Morris, two guys in the garment business one of our actors plays Max and the other one plays Morris so uh, these are little sketches or skits Uh, and sometimes they didn't work with certain actors and so we would say no sorry you can't have that one I'm going to give this one to her and then at the end of the show we realized well we haven't seen this actor for 10 minutes and we've got to get her back on stage so we're going to give this joke to her or to, or to him so you, you move them around to, to make the show work better um, not because of any personal uh, characteristics or flaws of the actors well they they did deliver them brilliantly um, and as you mentioned they did seem very familiar even though they were jokes I didn't know it just it felt there it felt like I was at home well that was that's sort of the idea and the theater we're in the West Side theater on 43rd Street. Uh, just west of Ninth Avenue in Manhattan. Uh, this was the one theater we wanted for the show. We waited and waited and waited. We were ready to open about eight months earlier, but we couldn't get this theater until the show that had been there closed because it's so intimate. It does. It's 250 seats, but it feels like it's a living room, and that's what we were looking for. It did feel like a living room, and I loved the plastic-covered couch. Of course, that's that, <laughs> that's a touch that only those of us who really grew up in, in you know the suburban world of uh, uh, of uh, Jewish families in the 1950s can appreciate it. It's a lovely, lovely prop. Um, <laughs> so 
Uh, do you have a favorite joke? Oh, I have many favorite jokes. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I have a favorite joke in the show, and then I have my favorite joke that's not in the show because it's too subtle. So, you know, yeah, I've, I've, got, uh, I've got a long list. And then, actually, I have to say that my favorite jokes are, it's a changing list because when I go and I hear people laugh so hard at some of the jokes, uh, they become my favorites. The, you know, one of the things that's so exciting about this show for me uh, is that, you know, for whatever the variety of things that I've done in my career, I've never done anything that was specifically designed to make people happy. And I sit in the back of the theater and I listen to people roaring with laughter, seeing them falling out of their chairs, and it's a great, great feeling. And there are five particular moments in the show when the people are falling out of their chairs, five jokes that never miss, uh, that bring the house down. So they're my favorites now. I did love the fact that you had an audience that spanned, I don't know, like seven decades. Oh, easily, easily. Easily seven decades. And all of, everybody laughed together, which was wonderful. You had some racy jokes in there, some fun jokes. And it was just heartening to see the the two people that were sitting in front of me. I loved um, She woman must have been well into her 80s and just having a wonderful time. There was a woman in her 80s about about 10 days ago uh, who had a clearly a grandson or great grandson even maybe a 12 year old uh, with her and she kept on her ears were poison her hands were poised on either side of his ears ready to clamp down on them when one of the blue jokes came up and you know we got a lot of blue jokes but I think that people are enjoying them yeah they didn't seem to bother anybody we all laughed together so it's now in full swing. Yeah, we officially opened on May 20th. We are approaching, we're selling out our weekend performances now. Um, we are approaching sellouts for some of the weekday performances. We think the show's a genuine hit, and we're starting to sell tickets. We're selling tickets right now up through the, I believe, the end end of uh, August, but we're about to open up for the fall as well, and we, it's, it's great. We're, at our last meeting of the, of the six producers, we put together our performance schedule for January and February of next year. So I think we're here to stay. I, I think you're here to stay, and you should. Um, so you. if our audience wants to find you, it's on the World Wide Web, as we like to say. Oh, people still say that? Yeah. yeah. Um, OJTJOnStage.com. Great. Well, thank you again, and thanks for the laughs and all of the rest. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. For additional interviews and conversations, please visit our website, yiddishbookcenter.org backslash audio. Our producer is Emma Morgenstern. I'm Lisa Newman. Be strong, be well, and tune in again soon.